You're listening to the feed. This is the feed. This is the feed. The feed. You're listening to the feed in Markham, in Richmond Hill. You're listening to the feed in Vaughan, in Stowville, in Woodbridge, in Unionville. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer with York Region's only news magazine show dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Thanksgiving weekend is upon us, a time when normally people come together, but not this year. Thanks to increased restrictions because of COVID-19 and renewed fears surrounding the resurgence of the virus. In fact, many will spend this weekend alone, connecting perhaps only virtually. Some are now even questioning what it is they have to be thankful for. Here to help us come to grips with these mental health challenges created by the pandemic is Dr. Deanne Sims, a clinical psychologist and the clinical director of the Ontario Structured Psychotherapy Program at CMHA York and South Simcoe. Thank you for being with us on the feed, Dr. Sims. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. So let's talk about some of the issues that people are dealing with this weekend and how it is affecting their mental health. Certainly. Well, as you said, Anne, I think people are struggling with some of the typical patterns we see right now. The days are getting a bit shorter. There's less sun and brightness. It's getting a little bit cooler. Um, But then on top of that, we also have um, whispers of different lockdown measures or other ways that we should continue to keep a safe distance from our loved ones at the present time. And so this dynamic, I think, is making what is a typically difficult to navigate time a little bit harder to to pull ourselves through this year. And add to that the fear of of this second wave and what it's going to present and the rising case numbers, the details that we see and hear when we watch the news or go online. That that that's a big helping of difficulty when it comes to kind of wrapping your head around it. Absolutely. I mean infectious diseases, illnesses, etc., and any kind of stressor uh, really can challenge the way that we cope or the way that we navigate life. And, and the coronavirus certainly has us all on guard and concerned not only about our personal health and safety, but also that of our friends, families, and the communities around us. What do you say to people who are in the middle of Thanksgiving weekend and they're spending it alone? I say that It is a difficult time, and I think that it's important to highlight that even though we're all going through this together, we all have our unique experiences. We all have our own emotions and our own thoughts in these situations, and and the way that everyone is responding makes sense. It would make sense if someone was feeling stressed, tired, anxious, overwhelmed this weekend, because the situations around us. Um, would naturally lead anyone to have those emotions. So I think the first part is just highlighting that it is a struggle and it's okay to acknowledge that. I think when, when we, you know, have our minds to how people are doing generally, we would expect that some people might have experiences like being a bit more irritable, being a bit more grumpy, maybe tearful or on edge. Uh, but we, we really encourage people to, to keep an eye on how they're coping. So, um, you know, 
is there some unhealthy behaviors that might be popping up? Are people eating more unhealthful food or, or eating more food than typical? Are they using substances differently? And, and certainly acknowledging that our emotions make sense, but just keeping an eye to make sure that we are coping in a way that is as healthy as possible and, if necessary, that we're reaching out for support. Maybe that's through a family doctor. Maybe that's through some of the free and publicly accessible services that we have underway in the province or just checking in with friends and family to say, you know what, I just, I just need a bit of connection. I just need to talk to someone right now. What I get from what you just said was so important that you said it makes sense. And it almost is a, a, a green light for us to say, okay, we're in trouble. I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm feeling this and I'm feeling alone and I'm feeling lonely and I'm feeling stressed. But as you say, it makes sense. It's okay. Yes, absolutely. And it's to be expected. It's really just highlighting the humanity of us all struggling in this very awkward very unexpected circumstance that we find ourselves in. And I think that while it's okay to acknowledge that these emotions and, and thoughts are going to show up for us, um, it's also important that, you know, people keep an eye on how they're coping and if any of these experiences that I just described earlier seem to show up, but if they persist, if they stick around for a longer uh, period of time over a couple of weeks or, or if they start to get in the way of us functioning and doing some of the activities that we, we typically would do, um, or certainly if they're accompanied by thoughts of hopelessness or helplessness, those are the times where we really know it's, it's, it's important to reach out for some of the more formal supports that, that we have underway. What is it about times like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter or typical times when you do get together, what is it about these holidays, these times of, of thought and, and you hope gathering with others that brings out sometimes the worst in us? Well, I think that there's a lot wrapped up in our expectations. We all have these templates or these ideas in our mind of what different events or uh, celebrations or traditions should and could look like. So, for example, my expectation of Thanksgiving is a large family dinner, uh, lots of food, lots of laughter, lots of connecting. And the more tightly I hold to that expectation, the more likely it is that I'm going to be disappointed about what Thanksgiving actually looks like this year. So the big piece that I'm trying to focus on and that I encourage others to focus on is connection instead of perfection this year. So I'm going to try as much as possible to connect with my friends and family, probably virtually on a lot of accounts, and I'm just going to prioritize that connection over Thanksgiving looking as perfect or as fun or as, as great as it, it typically would have. And I think this might be helpful for folks as, as, as we move through this holiday weekend. And what if you are by yourself, and there are quite a few people who live alone and they're not able to come together with their families because they're not part of their household, which is what's being recommended now. You stick to your household for this long weekend. Yes, absolutely. So I know that people who find themselves in those circumstances uh, might feel, just like you said, even more alone, even more isolated. And we know that there are physical and mental consequences of isolation. And so for folks in that situation, what I recommend is, again, connection, but connection to oneself. 
So thinking about the values and the purpose that they themselves um, put a put a focus on, and really finding a way to engage with those aspects of their life. So, for example, is there a way that um, you know one might be able to participate in some kind of virtual run or a virtual walk that that might raise funds for um, an association or an undertaking that's really important to them? Is there some way that they might be able to volunteer their time or their skills, even virtually, so that they can make a meaningful difference in the life of another person or in the life of their community around them? So even if a person is physically isolated, there are still ways that they can connect to themselves, their values and their purposes, and through that, they can actually buffer against some of the emotions that they might otherwise uh, experience this weekend. What about taking the time to think about what makes you happy, which in many cases might be, if they're alone, someone's favorite film, having access to it, to watch it on that day, creating that person's favorite meal for himself or herself, just indulging in the things that make you happy, that have a history in your happiness, you know, uh, past, does that, does that help? Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about Thanksgiving, we talk about giving thanks, obviously. We talk about um, gratitude and highlighting some of the, 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 the things that we feel positively about that are, are happening in our life or the lives of others around us. And so this can be difficult to access um, I know people around me are saying, like, what do I have to give thanks of this year? Um, but, you know, gratitude is something that's on uh, a wide uh, dimension, I suppose. So gratitude um, is part of a, a family of positive emotions that include love, hope, laughter, etc. And so finding ways to build in opportunities for some of those experiences as small or as large as we can conceive of, would be important. So, for example, um, I know that some folks have gratitude jars. And within those jars, they can place one sticky note per day of something as tiny or as large that they can think of that they're grateful for. So, for example, I'm grateful today that um, the toilet that was broken in my house <laughs> isn't acting up as much as it usually does. Um, anything that could be as small or as large can help to gather um, some of the positive emotions that might help to buffer against uh, feelings of sadness or loneliness or isolation. And then to your point, Anne, any other opportunity for self-care, self-soothing, if it's taking a nice bath, having a nice meal, smelling a delicious smell of a candle that you might burn. These are all ways to really help to improve health and well-being in general, but especially at times where we are stressed or strained or feeling alone. Well, I am grateful for having time spent with you, Dr. Deanne Sims. Thank you very, very much for helping us all through this Thanksgiving weekend, whatever it is we're dealing with, and thank you for joining us on the feed. Absolutely. I'm grateful to have been able to chat with you today, Anne.
Are young people getting the message when it comes to physical distancing and preventing the spread of the virus? Tina Cortez has more. Dr. Jane Heffernan is an infectious disease modeler at York University. Welcome to the feed, Professor. Thank you very much for having me. Can we start with what exactly is an infectious disease modeler? What do you do? Sure. So I'm an infectious disease modeler. Um, and it, people can become infectious disease modelers from many different um, paths. But I'm an applied mathematician. And what I do is I use mathematics, statistics, probability, computer simulation to track how infectious disease prevalence or incidence in a population can change over time. Um, so a lot of that has to do with calculus or, or looking at slope. And so what we do is we use uh, mathematical models or computer simulations to look at the transmission of a pathogen in the population. Um, but then also we can use infectious uh, disease modeling to also look at how infectious diseases interact with the immune system, which then can be integrated into the population level model so that we can look at distributions of immunity and disease spread. So then explain to me, how has your expertise been applied to COVID-19? Sure. So during COVID-19, I've been working on many different projects. Um, one uh, has to do with tracking the efficacy of contact tracing versus social distancing and school closure and self-isolation in terms of uh, looking at the outcomes of a first wave and a potential second wave of infection and how this um, uh, puts demand on the healthcare system. Specifically, I'm looking at uh, the requirements for personal protective equipment and masks. Um, another thing is that we're looking at um, specifically modeling how social distancing behavior can uh, we're looking at uptake and waning of that behavior over time and how that affects disease prevalence. And then another project is we're looking at um, how exposure to the virus, um, we're, we're trying to see how we can define mild, medium, and severe disease using an in-host model. And we're hoping to use that information to inform um, some vaccination strategies at the population level as well. Now, as part of your work, and you just mentioned this, you've been quoted as saying that young people may be suffering from what we'll call a bit of COVID fatigue, that they may not be as disciplined in following safety protocols such as physical distancing. What do you mean, and do you have an idea of how do we get the message then to that age group? Yes. Yeah. So that is linked to one of the projects that I just discussed. I'm looking at the effects of uptake and decay of social distancing behavior, also called physical distancing behavior. And one thing that we have to think about when we're trying to dissect this is looking at the different costs, quote unquote, the different costs, not monetary, but in terms of um, experience over time. And so we can think that there are different age groups where socializing is more important or um, more frequent compared to some other age groups. And so over time, as individuals uptake social distancing or physical distancing, then this, this behavior can wane depending upon what the cost is of not socializing. And then that cost can be compared to the cost of, um, of the disease. So as individuals become more... Um, used to having the disease around, they can also become desensitized. 
And so then that means that the cost of being infected is decreasing, but also the cost of not socializing because we really want to socialize is increasing because we haven't been doing it. And so you have these two costs competing against each other. And so one thing that would be important for individuals who are, who are dealing with this competition um, within themselves, they have to be reminded of the severity of in, the potential severity of infection that they might have if they are exposed and infected to the pathogen. But they also need to be thinking about the possible severity of infection that um, loved ones or friends might have if they transmit the virus because they're socializing. Wow. So do you have any ideas then on how how do we get that message to them? You said they're becoming perhaps desensitized to it. So is there the possibility that they will continue to ignore the warnings and ignore the safety protocols that are in place? What do we do from here? How do we get that message to that age group that seems to be growing in terms of numbers? Those that are infected are in fact those under 40. Is there a way to... To turn this around? Yep. Um, So one thing that can be done is what the government is doing uh, is in in terms of targeting like specific um, public health mitigation strategies that are targeting places for socializing uh, for this this type of age group. Um, So that's one thing. So as as bars and restaurants and cafes and uh, other things are are being mitigated, then that can send a message. So that's one good thing uh, that the government is doing. Another thing that has been shown to be effective is in changing the message um, uh, or in also making the message more accessible on social media. Um, And so what you can think about is having some sort of uh, commercial or advertisement that's targeted to social media for the, those age groups, which then can pop up on their social media interfaces. And, and the, the message can't just be text. It has to be um, something that is, is easy for someone to, to look at quickly. So can I ask you then, what do you want to say to young people who may think that it's worth the risk? So I would say that um, socializing can still occur on um, social media platforms and and uh, with good physical distancing slash social distancing behaviors. Um, People aren't saying don't socialize, but they're saying socialize with the appropriate caution. So that means keeping your circle small, um, making sure you're wearing the protective equipment uh, when when you're needed to, um, which is almost all the time right now. Um, And then to also think about the outcomes of potential exposures that you might bring on to other people because what we really need to do to cut transmission at, in the population is to cut those chains of transmission. And so we really need people to adhere to wearing masks, keeping their social circles small, and making sure that if they are having um, some social contact with people that they're keeping that social distance or physical distance between them as directed by the local government. Dr. Hefferman, before we wrap up this conversation, what's next for you in terms of your work? Where are you going? Where is your research taking you? So right now I am focusing some of my work on uh, looking at the outcomes of the requirements for PPE during the second wave 
And we're also uh, focusing a lot of our attention on trying to determine optimal strategies for vaccine rollout when one does happen, depending on the type of vaccine that comes out. So looking at targeting different age groups or um, looking at different social circles, um, and that really depends on which vaccines are going to be rolled out to the population. Professor Heffernan, thank you for joining us on the feed, and thank you for your work. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. When we come back, former Glass Tiger frontman Alan Frew is giving back in a big way. That story is next. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Do you have a story idea for The Feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of The Feed coming up. This is 105.9 The Region. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. Glass Tiger was at the top of the charts in the 80s. We play their music all the time right here on 105.9 The Region. Their lead singer is back in the spotlight for Gala to go. Here's Amber Pay with Alan Frew. Hospice Vaughn is in the process of building a state-of-the-art facility at their new location at Rutherford Road and Islington Avenue. The building will include a 10-bed residential hospice, family support, and bereavement services. As part of their fundraising efforts, Hospice Vaughn is hosting their gala to go on October 16th, and it's virtual this year. The highlight of the evening will no doubt be a live stream performance by Alan Frew. Oh yeah, that Alan from Glass Tiger. Thank you so much for joining us, Alan. My pleasure. So this has been a very interesting year, and I know that you love to perform. I've seen you perform. Um, I have enjoyed your music for years. I'm a huge 80s lady, so I'm a big fan here. Um, With COVID, there's been a bit of a shift and a a switching of things. How How have you dealt with all of that? Well, it's been a massive shift. I mean, Glass Tiger, we probably have lost close to maybe 100 dates. Uh, so far, um, mentally, mentally, it's it's depleting. It's tough. You know, we're sort of at the latter stages of a career. My voice is in great shape, and mm-hmm. and uh, I'd love I'd love for this stuff to end so I could get back out, but it doesn't. So uh, you have to try and stay mentally strong. I I write a lot, so I've been working on a new book. I just try and stay busy. Glass Tiger is going to play um, its first live date, um, I believe, yeah, of this year. And uh, it's one of these drive-in shows right. where you're, playing, you're performing to people in the cars. Other than that, I've done some online stuff mm-hmm. where I've performed for people online. And I do my own online show, a little Instagram live show called Through, Through the Looking Glass. It's through the looking glass, correct. So that's that's what I've tried to do. I I don't deny that it it gets it gets to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I spin my wheels at times, just wondering what's happened to life. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually, you got to pick yourself up and keep going. Right, and you're very positive. And I I, I have seen um, a, a couple of your episodes of Through the Looking Glass, and how how great is it that fans can actually just come right to you and speak directly to you. I can, if it was me, I would be 
shaking. I would be very nervous, kind of like I am now speaking with you. But uh, because I, I am, a, I am a big fan, and I think it was an incredible idea. I think you've been very positive for people, and they've they ask you just questions they've always kind of wanted to know. And I'm, I imagine that it, it's fun to listen and connect with your fans that way. And you're a great storyteller, by the way. You are great. Thank you. I mean, that storytelling has been part of my uh, biographics uh, my whole life. And um, uh, Through the Looking Glass started out with me just, um, I just want to check in on, like, some people I I realized one day, oh, I have a fan in Manchester, England. Oh, I have a fan in Sydney, Australia. I wonder how they're doing. And uh, and so I went online to ask people, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Which really surprised them. And um, I've always connected with people. I mean, uh, it's just it's second nature to me. There's never been a sort of celebrity-esque mm-hmm. in my body. and I just go about my life and do my thing. And so... I was checking in on people, and then it just started to grow. And then I thought, how cool would it be if I asked some of my pals, some friends to come on, and you'd maybe get two interesting characters, uh, people fans of theirs or whatnot. And so that's how I started asking different people from all different walks of life to come on as my guest. Oh, I think that's amazing because it is all about sort of everybody's dealing with COVID and, and being isolated from people in very different ways. And I really think that's a really helpful thing that you, that you have done for, for your fans and uh, everybody that wants to connect with you. Uh, yesterday with the, the death of Eddie Van Halen, I was wondering, did, did he have a, a big impact on your life at all? Well, um, in as much as, you know, like anybody else, uh, Van Halen, we're a phenomenal band, and, uh, you know, I, I loved some of the stuff, and I knew how great Eddie was, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I'm very sad, uh, saddened to see him, to see him pass. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say I was, you know, a, a, a diehard fan, right. but I yeah. certainly knew, um, you know, just how brilliant he was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really, really sorry and, and sad to see um, that this has ha- this has happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just awful. And it was an too it, young. It, I mean, definitely. too young. It's just ridiculous. Definitely too young. I think that cancer is taking uh, a lot of us. Uh, you mentioned that you were doing a, a drive-in earlier uh, this past week in Toronto, and I know that's the way that things are shifting a little bit. So we, you have this gala that's coming up with Hospice Vaughn, and it's on October the 16th, and that will also be done virtually as well. Uh, how did you decide to get involved with Hospice Vaughn? Well, uh, they, they contacted me. Uh, I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, they... They contacted me when the idea of a gala was still possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple of friends, Robert and Teresa Orsini, who are big supporters of uh, the event. And uh, I believe that through them and uh, the committee, they, they, I, I got contacted mm-hmm. uh, asking if I'd be part of the gala. And then pretty quickly it shifted to that this is going to have to be an online event. Right. And would I still would I still consider doing it? And I said yes and you know, here we are. 
Yeah, and hospice is so important uh, for so many people and loved ones and yeah. trying to care. And I think this is a wonderful thing that you're doing. And I know that they appreciate it. And uh, I know that you're also from York Region as well over in Newmarket. So uh, I think that they were absolutely and I was I, I was a registered nurse. I don't know if you know that. I, I did. I did know that. And so so our, our, the hospice and, and uh, hospitals and our frontline workers and all these People that are out there putting their lives on the line, they're very near and dear to my heart. So, you know, anytime I can help out with that, I'm happy to do it. Where can fans find you then it, on Instagram? Where can fans, fans find me? Okay, well, I mean, my handle or whatever they call those damn things, <laughs> it's, it's my name, Alan Through, but it's, it's got a little underscore between it. So it's <laughs> Alan underscore Through. And they can always identify me by the little blue verification symbol because unfortunately I get a lot of those wackos that come on impersonating <laughs> me and they try to scam people and yes. and you know do, do all those crazy things so yeah, I encourage people to you know look for that little blue verification thing and I'm happy if people follow me and uh, they want to communicate with me and, and we all get together online it's uh, it's lovely. It certainly is. And you, you, you call us, is it Frooskies? Who are the Frooskies? Are we the Frooskies? Uh, no, they, they call themselves the Fru family. Like they uh, do. It's a lot of fun. It, it's very it, simple. It certainly is a lot of fun. I'm sure everybody likes to just kind of come on and maybe uh, have a drink with you as, uh, as you do. Yeah. And uh, Fru the yeah. Looking Glass, if you want to check out Alan underscore Fru, you can do that on Instagram as well. Good luck at uh, Hospice Vaughn on the 16th. I know everybody appreciates it. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. My pleasure. To purchase your tickets or for more information about the Gala to Go on October 16th, go to hospicevon.com. Our next stop takes us to Setter Ice and Battle of the Blades. Jim Lang with the highlights. One of the people that is taking part in the upcoming Battle of the Blades on the CBC is former NHLer Brian Bickle, and he joins us today on the feed. Brian, how are you? Oh, great, great. We just got off uh, a tough day of uh, figure skating. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, but start with that. Now, I, that I'm, Brian Berard's a buddy of mine. He said he couldn't believe how tough it was to transition from hockey and skating and hockey to the edges of figure skating. Are you finding the same thing? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, it's 100% differently. The heavier, it's stiffer, the blade's bigger, it's wider. The toe pick is obviously the highlight of the skate. I've done about a dozen of those last week, so it's. But I'm getting used to it. It's been good for the first couple of weeks, and I'm actually kind of nervous going back to my hockey skates. It's so different. Because I, I mean, I know some guys in the NHL have did figure skating before they got into the NHL, and it, they're pretty good skaters. But you don't get to the NHL and play as long as you did without having excellent skating skills. It's just interesting to see. Uh, the subtleties, how difficult it is. But I guess it doesn't hurt when you're skating with someone like Caitlin Weaver, who's a defending champion. Yeah, she's definitely making everything easy for me. Um, the tips, the uh, info that she's been giving me, she's working off me. And she feels me really good for the first week and a half of what I need to do and what not, not to do. Um, I think that's why she won last year. She had uh, Sheldon uh, last year, then she won the contest, and now she connects and, you know, uh, what to do, when to do it, and uh, it's been exciting for the first week of the skate. 
speaking with Brian Bickle on the Battle of the Blades on the feed. Um, Brian, it's well known that you had to end your NHL career because of a diagnosis of MS, multiple sclerosis. I think for a lot of people listening are wondering, does the MS affect you at all as you practice and work out for Battle of the Blades? Um, yeah, I think in moments. Um, obviously, with MS, there's different symptoms. Um, a lot of people that are diagnosed as balanced, um, you know, my balance wasn't as good as it was, was my part of my career. Um, different body parts are moving differently, but this is totally new to me. This figure skating is, I'm working different muscles that I didn't know. And uh, I'm getting aches and pains uh, early. Hopefully they'll leave eventually. But um, the first week is, uh, has been a learning experience for sure. How different is it be, from being a young player and single in the league to now having a wife and two daughters and having that support group? A, a just dealing with MS and B dealing with what you're going through right now, getting ready for Battle of the Blades. Um, it's been good. I know um, the wife is excited. The kids are excited. You know, my whole family is excited. They they watched the show before I got asked to come on. Um, they thought it was a great way to you know show my story and uh, spread my message. What I want to help out people with MS um, and just never give up. Like, it's it's something so different um, than I'm used to. It just shows, the, gives people to not be scared of different and to push forward and never give up. And um, that's what uh, I'm going to be doing on this show, and I'm looking forward to it. Brian is skating in support of the MS Society Canada. You can donate or get information at mssociety.ca. Uh, being a hockey player in the NHL, trash talking is part of the game. Uh, there, is there any friendly rivalry between some of the you guys who used to play in the show who are skating, getting ready for the big, the big event? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You, you can see the the list of guys uh, with uh, Akeem, Stewart, and obviously for Stieg. I played for Stieg for three or four years, so for Stieg was a, a trash talker on the ice, off the ice, <laughs> and he's bringing it to this uh, atmosphere, which is. I think all the, the skaters and all the figure skating pros are kind of laughing and having a good time with it, but uh, he's uh, he's going after me, and I'm kind of going back and forth, and I think that's uh, those kind of rivalry in this world, and um, I know they're they're laughing and having a good time with it. You know, Brian, I mean, the timing of all this couldn't be more perfect. The NHL season's over. We we don't, I mean, they may start up and get a January, and everything going on with COVID, I think a lot of families need this kind of thing and need this inspiration that you and the rest of the skaters provide. Yeah, I think it's an awesome, like, like timing. Obviously, it's a, a crazy, crazy time in this world, and, you know, we're kind of taking a couple of back steps, but obviously hockey's over, then baseball's kind of firing up, but then really there's only going to be football, and base, basketball's going to be done here shortly. It's kind of like a perfect storm. Um, our message is through each uh, pro and skater. It's going to connect a lot of people, and I know um, – I'm super excited to tell mine and to show the passion and um, just the desire to do our place. It's going to be something special, and it's going to be it's going to look awesome, but it's going to feel right too. So I'm pretty excited about. It. Do you have any particular goals in mind going into the competition? Uh, yeah, to win. I think um, I think you do anything in life, you want to win. If if you don't want to win, then there's no really no sense doing it. Um, I know with the team we got with Julie, Cody, and, and Caitlin, it feels real early, and I know we're going to do a good thing and show a lot of people, and, you know, we're here to win. We're, we want to beat everybody, and 
Um, it's for a good cause, and it's going to have a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm here to win for sure. Well, if you're not inspired by Brian Bickle, then I can't inspire you in anything. Uh, skating in support of the MS Society of Canada, along with his partner, three-time world dance, ice dance medalist, Caitlin Weaver. He is a Stanley Cup champion, and no one can ever take that away from him. He is Brian Bickle. Brian, good luck. I hope you're not too sore throat, and I'm sure your wife and kids are going to have a ball watching you do your thing. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully we can... Uh... Put some smiles on faces and put some tears on faces, and it's going to be a fun fun experience for me. Will do. Take care, Brian. All the best. Thank you. Days after my interview with Brian, a production crew member from Battle of the Blades tested positive for COVID-19. And that means the premiere date of the show has been postponed. Coming up next, Patty and the pandemic. This is The Feed on 105.9 The Region. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. This is the feed on 105.9 The Region. I'm Ann Romer. A local med student has created a kid's book to dispel some of the myths about COVID-19. Afwa Ba takes the story from here. This second-year med student is studying to one day work on the front lines in the healthcare sector, but that isn't stopping her from doing what she can to make an impact in the lives of younger Canadians today. Joining me to chat today is Nicole Creamy. She is the author of Patty and the Pandemic, a children's book about the COVID-19 pandemic. Nicole, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks so much for having me on the show. It is absolutely our pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for this book that you've written on behalf of all the kids that maybe not might be able to speak to you, but probably wanted to say thank you. Uh, first off, what inspired you to write this book? Well, I was sent home from school because of COVID as well. And I recalled my time during SARS. I was about six years old and I was still allowed to be at school at that time. So when I was sent home this year, the first thing I thought of was, you know, how much more difficult it must be for the children that are younger and in their earlier stages of school and how confused they must be because there really isn't much information available for them to get them to understand why exactly they are experiencing the restrictions that they're experiencing. So, you know, I'm an artist, I love writing, and I happen to know about medicine because of my role in medical school. So it seemed like something that would be a fun initiative and hopefully meaningful to a few people. Wow, so that is so thoughtful of you and, and just the two things that you do that you're passionate about and you've just put them together and voila, here we are with the children's book. So once you had the idea, how did you start writing it? Um, well, so I tend to write rhymes pretty quickly. It's just one of those odd talents that I've had since I was younger and something that I enjoyed doing. So I put it together pretty quickly, but then thankfully I happen to know some other people that like writing and I happen to be close with some physicians who have been involved in the pandemic a little bit more so they were able to edit the content for me and help me edit the writing so that we could really make it a perfected children's book that we thought that would be helpful for kids and that they would enjoy reading. That is awesome and also too how did you come up with the illustrations for the book as well to be able to bring the words to life? That was something I just I kind of just sat there and thought about who I wanted. I always kind of had this image of me being this crazy-haired little girl. Um, I wanted her to be this, like, strong female figure. And they just kind of slowly came to life. I sat there sketching a little bit and trying out different kind of styles of cartoons. And then eventually, with some time, I finalized the characters and then just put it together. Since I'm an artist, it wasn't too difficult to actually color it in and do all of the design processes. It was more so just designing the characters that 
took some time. Just talk about uh, maybe some of the highlights that you pointed out in the children's book and why you felt it was important for the children to to understand those certain points that you mentioned in the children's book. And then for basically for them in general to understand the pandemic, because we've heard the word pandemic, but it's it's quite large in terms of a term to understand uh, as an adult, let alone a child. Yeah, I mean, imagine a three-year-old even trying to say the word pandemic. Right. <laughs> um, and a lot of the resources available do talk about virology and everything, and that's not, kids don't even know what cells are. So the way that the book kind of phrases it is it talks about it as this bad bug. So it's just this character that nobody can really see. Um, and that just kind of creates something that's more tangible for them. And then the main concepts it discusses are essentially the fact that there is this bad bug that's around the fact that people could have it and not know what the main symptoms are. It doesn't go too much into that. And then it talks about how one person can get two people sick and then that can get another four people sick and how it essentially spreads. And then from a public health standpoint, it talks about our main goals, which are social distancing, so staying six feet apart, wearing masks, and then how to properly wash your hands. But the thing is, is it talks about it in a way that's fun and makes you want to do this alongside Patty, not in a way where you need to be scared and you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to stay safe. Absolutely. So key points there for the children to know, for them to easily absorb. When you found out Premier Doug Ford gave you a shout out at his, at his uh, press conference and during one of his uh, daily briefings, how did you feel? I was just absolutely elated. When I created this project, I mostly created it with the intention of just sharing it with the people in my immediate community and circle of friends. I mean, I create art all of the time and don't expect that kind of recognition. But the fact that someone who has been working so hard to keep people safe during the pandemic not only saw my work but then also appreciated it enough and valued it enough to share it with others just really meant the world to me. And then since then, the influx of support and kind words that I've been receiving has just been absolutely heartwarming. And it's much more than I ever expected, and I'm just so grateful. Awesome. Okay, and how's the sort of reception been like in terms of uh, since you've told people that you you wrote a children's book? Um, how many people have you seen maybe sort of started purchasing this book? It's been really, really positive. It's been such a pleasant surprise because usually when you publish your first book, you don't expect that right away. Um, so we've had almost 2,000 books sold already, and they keep coming in every day, and we keep receiving messages every day about how the book, how people are looking forward to the book, and how they think it will impact their lives. Um, I've been doing a few book readings at schools, which has been so, so lovely. Um, so, yeah, it's just been a really great experience overall. The premier mentioned all profit will be going to charity. How did you go about picking which foundation to donate to? Yeah, um, so for that, that was pretty easy for me because I've always been very passionate about Face the Future Foundation. I actually want to be an otolaryngologist, which are the types of surgeons that go on these mission trips. And it's been a foundation that I've kind of had my eye on because I want to be able to volunteer with it in the future when I actually am practicing. Um, but then also my thought was that the pandemic really doesn't just affect kids in Ontario. It affects kids around the world. And I wanted the money that I was raising to go to kids around the world as a result of that. So even if all the sales are only in our province, I think it's nice that kids, by buying a book, are learning that it's important to help people even if you don't know them personally. So Face the Future Foundation actually gathers surgeons from around the world, and they go to developing countries and perform life-changing surgeries for kids that wouldn't otherwise have access to these kinds of surgeries. And then what's also really great about this foundation is it's a bit of a smaller foundation, too, and 
all of the surgeons that go on these mission trips are donating their time. So for me, it felt like it was really worthwhile because I was donating my time into creating this book. Families are donating their money into buying the book. And as a result, the surgeons are donating their time. So for every dollar, we're, we're actually donating almost up to $40. So one mission trip is 20 to 40K. And it has a value of 250 to $900,000. So we're really making a difference with every book that's purchased. And then since this is technically your second book, since you did write one when you were six, you were quite a busy young lady. <laughs> uh, do you see yourself maybe writing more books, maybe for children in the future, more adult books in the future? Or right now are you just focusing on the medicine? Well, right now I'm definitely focusing on medicine, but I was focusing on medicine the past six months as well. So my thing is, is that if something else comes up where I think that it is important enough for me to write about, I most definitely will write it. This has been such a enjoyable experience and I'm really grateful for the to have the kind of platform that I have to be able to share my thoughts so definitely in the future I would love to write more books for children adults or maybe even both and then just a bit of a aside I mean you're an artist it's 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 in your blood through and through I can hear it as you're speaking and then you got into medicine how did you how did you get from one side to the other how did you uh, sort of find your way into medicine since I was a little girl, I've always liked medicine and I've always liked art. They've never really been separate for me. To me, art allows me to understand myself and make sense of the world around me, but so does science, right? Everything is made up of science, like it explains everything around us. So they both kind of come from the same source of passion. It's just that one thing is, one of them is something that I like to do as a hobby, and then medicine is something that I like to do as a career because I get to interact with people on a daily basis and really get to significantly impact their lives through it. And I love uh, that you just answered that that way because we know so many kids that have so many talents, but then sometimes they feel torn about, oh, I have to choose one between the other and, and not realize that um, you're, you're a perfect example. You can merge both passions in one way and still be able to sort of pursue both of them in the other way and still have a fulfilling career, still have a fulfilling life, enjoying the passions that you've had since you were a child. So thank you for answering that for me. Thank you for mentioning that. So on that note, the, the number one question then, how do we get our hands on this book? How do we purchase this book? so that uh, it goes towards this foundation. So the book is available at pattyandthepandemic.org. Pattyandthepandemic.org. Perfect. And also, uh, is there only a limited amount of books available or will you continue to print these books as you get orders? Yeah, we'll keep printing as long as the orders keep coming in. Awesome. Okay, second year med student uh, Nicole Creamy, uh, also an author and uh, writing a book uh, to help children better understand the pandemic that we're in right now. Uh, but all of the proceeds going towards a great charity, Face the Future. Nicole, thank you so much for what you're doing. Continue to do what you do and continue to inspire um, and just do anything that you can to make the change. You're already doing it today. So we thank you for that. Thank you so much, too. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or follow us on Twitter at 1059theregion. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.